You're listening to the Divestopedia Exit Strategy Podcast, where we interview entrepreneurs who have sold their companies and the advisors that help them. We elicit expert advice from exit planners, attorneys, merger and acquisition experts, accountants, business appraisers, and financial advisors, all with a goal of educating you about the sales process. Make sure to visit us on the web at divestopedia.com to see more of our resources for entrepreneurs who want to sell their business for the best price and terms. Whether you are thinking of selling, have started a sales process, or are post-deal, we aim to arm you with the knowledge required to maximize value and limit your downside risk. And now, here's your host, Noah Rosenfarb, a CPA and personal CFO to business owners planning their transition. Rosenfarb from Freedom Exit Advisors, the author of Exit, Healthy, Wealthy, and Wise. And today, we've got Ace Chapman. For the last decade, he's bought and sold over a dozen businesses. And he also helps other business buyers build deal flow, find businesses on the hidden market, do due diligence, and complete valuations. Ace has a depth of knowledge that he's looking to share with us today as both an owner and an advisor to owner. So, Ace, thanks for coming on the show. Glad to be here. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, so, um, you know, you you'd mentioned you acquired your first business when you were 19. Why don't you, you know, share that story because it's probably a unique one. So, as a kid, I was an absolute nerd. <laughs> you know, I, I loved, I was in love with the stock market, loved business. Uh, I remember uh, being young and, and, you know, there there wasn't the Internet back then. And so, you know, this whole thing with the, with the stock market just excited me. So, every time I was at the library, I just loved going and getting the encyclopedias and, and actually reading. There's a section that I probably read 100 times just about how the stock market worked and what it was. And, and all that. So when I was uh, 19, I came across a website that basically was an online stock market simulator. And I loved what they were doing. I loved their vision. This was at the beginning of, of kind of the Internet uh, a boom back when, you know, we were still on dial-up and, and using AOL. And, but I, I loved what they were doing and but felt like they definitely were not promoting it. And, you know, I had done some, some – I started a little web development company. During the summers, uh, I would usually start a little business, whether it was lawn or whatever. So I knew a little bit about – marketing and, and, and all of that. And for them, it was definitely a side project. And, and somehow I uh, managed to get the uh, CEO of the company that, that owned that website uh, on the phone and start talking to them. And unbeknownst to me, I, I negotiated my first leverage buyout, not because I was uh, creative or, or financially creative or, or anything like that. Uh, it was out of necessity. I was a college student and had no money, but I really wanted this business. So I, I got them to, to do about half owner financing. I had some credit cards. I had a little bit of, of money uh, and, and, and brought in a friend who wanted to invest in well as well, and, uh, uh, you know, I ended up buying that, that first business. So uh, w- walk me through the mechanics of, you know, did, did you do this all on your own? Was the friend sophisticated, or was this kind of ace at 19 just just winging it? <laughs> it was definitely ace at 19, absolutely winging it. And I had uh, no idea what I was doing. You know, we, we got the business. The, now the, the 
great thing was the partner that I brought on uh, was technically sophisticated. And so, you know, and that's something that I still really value and believe in is finding the right partners who have a different skill set. So what we brought to the table was he knew how to do the programming and improve some of the things that, that uh, were needed on the site to help to, so that it could grow. And I was really curious and interested in uh, the, the marketing side of that business. And uh, so together, once we bought the business, it was a, um, it, you know, it was a, it was a fun, fun journey. But on the, oh, I remember just kind of running through in my head, reading books, doing research, and, and trying to come up with some creative ways to, to make that deal work. And so did, did it work in the end? Yeah. So, you know, we, we took the site down, did a complete rebuild, and there was a commercial a long time ago um, that, that really simulated this, but we had sent out a lot of invites to other college students, and there was a novelty. Things were a little bit easier back then because there weren't a lot, there wasn't a, a ton going on online. And, you know, we sent some invites to friends and told them about the site and, and all of this, and, and we had some viral aspects where, you know, we would give them more money to play trade and, and prizes and, and that kind of thing uh, if they spread the word. And so the first night we put the site online and we built it in the database thinking, okay, we could have 500, you know, it would be crazy if we got 500 people over the course of, of this school year. By the end of school, maybe we'll have 500 people trading on this thing. And, you know, we're sitting there and the first hour is 50 people and then 100 and 200 and, and you know, that, that whole story. And, and then we realize, oh, wow, we've got some work to do. That's great. So, uh, so that, that was fun. Now, the other lesson that I, I learned, and, and one of the things that's really important for, uh, I think, the, the people in your audience is that was before the Internet boom. Then the Internet boom happened, and, you know, we, we had seven-figure offers to sell that business and uh, really, you know, wanted to kind of see it through. After the bust, it, you know, the whole model changed and advertising changed and, and all of that. And, um, you know, we, we, we got probably a, less than a tenth of what we could have gotten during, during the boom. And, and that was a huge lesson that probably, you know, it led to me being a little trigger happy and, and, and building the career that I have now uh, where I, I'm, you know, building businesses and, and I'm, I'm quick to, to sell them for profit. Yeah. So, and, and have you found that your ownership mentality has changed also, where you're focused on value as opposed to profit, or, or do you, are you profit focused as well? Yeah, I think it's a it, it's a combination of both. I mean, at the end of the day, the more cash flow that uh, you're you're able to build, that's what attracts buyers. Uh, I found so. Uh, I think a lot of people get really excited about building uh, a lot of assets and, and having a tremendous amount of, of value there. Um, what I like to do is is, is have as much cash flow as possible, um, and, and it makes it easier, one, to get financing uh, because it's getting tougher and tougher on the asset side to put together deals. But, yeah, I, I, obviously it's a combination of both, and each deal stands on its own. But where 
I like to play is going buying a business, building up the marketing, uh, and, and I'm sure you see it as well. Just most businesses um, aren't pushing the marketing side of their business as much as they could. Uh, just I, I literally see it. I mean, one of the recent uh, businesses I bought – I walked into the business and and they had a ten thousand person database of past clients and customers that actually spent money with them. They had their email, they had their phone number, they had the address, and they never emailed them. They never called. They never you know sent any direct marketing to try to sell those people on coming back. I literally bought that business and doubled the the month to month revenue. End up selling it in in about six months, but all just targeting their past customers. And so there there are situations out there like that, and it may not be that obvious, but uh, I like to find those hidden uh, assets like that that you can leverage uh, and, and grow the business. And so as you go through those 12 businesses that you've owned and, and some of which you've sold, have you found those hidden opportunities in, in most of them? In most of the businesses, uh, yeah, it, it, you've got one or two things. And this is, is something that on the sales side uh, is, is it is getting a lot more competitive. And so um, there are uh, more opportunities. And either there's a hidden opportunity or a hidden asset inside of that business that we can go in and leverage, or there's a, a situation where the seller's just motivated. And so whether it's a divorce or, you know, a death in the family or illness or whatever, um, there's a situation where they're just willing to get really aggressive about the deal structure. The other other thing, and, and this is uh, something that I think a lot of advisors are getting a lot more savvy with, is really uh, coming up with creative deal structures that attract buyers. And, you know, a lot of times when I'm selling the business, I try to paint different pictures of different options uh, on ways to, to structure deals so that the buyer can will, will be attracted to my deal as opposed to somebody who just says, here are the financials, here are the, 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 uh, here's the business plan, here are the projections, and now you go figure out how you can close this deal. I want to come to them with, hey, I was talking to this financing company. You can get uh, some money here. This is how here's, – here's one way that we would, I would structure it if I were buying this business. You know, here's how we can limit your, your cash up front. And coming to the table with, uh, with deal structures. But, you know, we look for hidden assets that we can leverage and um, opportunities to either get a, 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 a low sales price compared to the value or create a deal structure. And, and are you primarily doing that in the due diligence process, or are you figuring it out kind of post-closing, you just have a sense that there's going to be something you'll find? In the due diligence process. Yeah. So, and, and what's a typical uh, – you, you know, you and I had spoke that probably the sweet spot for you is, you know, million-dollar companies plus or minus. And, yeah. Yeah. Uh, What's what's a typical due diligence process like in that size deal? How long does it take, and what information are you getting access to? So the, the time can really vary. Uh, you know, the, the funny thing about that that story I just mentioned is 
in the the example of that business, I, it was very short due diligence. I was excited to get in there and, and kind of leverage that database. Um, so it, it varies anywhere. If I'm if I'm if I know a deal, I know really based on some hidden asset, the price is greatly undervalued. Um, I, I, I'll close it within a couple of weeks and, and uh, not spend a ton of time on due diligence um, as long as I get the information that, that I'm interested in. And, you know, another thing that I think, uh, just a, a quick side note for a, a lot of the business sellers is you, there are a lot of people that don't value the um, money that's spent on getting a good valuation and having somebody sit down and think about the value that are that's in the different areas of your business. And uh, in a lot of cases, a buyer can come in and, and, you know, on both sides, you have buyers that don't think about valuation, so they look at a price and they just automatically start negotiating. And you have uh, sellers who don't who don't think about a price and, and may price it too low, but you know I will sometimes pay the exact sales price uh, because they've undervalued uh, the business. Does that make sense? Yeah, makes a ton of sense. I want to go back to and pick up on a word that you mentioned in that first company, which is a leveraged buyout. And, you know, I think it's unique that in a a 19-year-old, you know, does a leveraged buyout because that's a term that we mostly hear thrown around with kind of bigger deals. But I know that's something that you promote to the people that you're working with is the use of leverage in the acquisition of a company. And so tell me what that conversation's like and perhaps direct it to either the owners or advisors on the call that have, you know, young, hungry, entrepreneurial, uh, spirited people that want to be in business but have no capital? Absolutely. So uh, a lot of the time, what, what, what I spend a lot of time doing is working with young folks. And, um, you know, I, 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 it'd be great if more people spent time doing this because it's going to be absolutely necessary as we see, you know, over 12 million more businesses that have ever been on the market in the, in the U.S.'s history uh, come on the market because of the baby boomers retiring. Uh, and it's going to really, really flood the market. And, and unfortunately, nobody's cultivating and nobody's training a younger generation to come in and take over those businesses. And so what we spend time doing is uh, kind of working on both sides getting businesses in a position where uh, things are uh, systematic and someone else besides the CEO can come in and run the business, and then working with uh, the small business buyers. So with, with those younger folks, there's the preparation and then there's the actual structure. Most people go in and, and most uh, advisors, and, and when I'm brokering a deal or, or advising a, a business on selling, um, a lot of times you can only go to a very select group of buyers or you, you have buyers come in, and, and we all know that 99% of them are not going to, to be able to buy the business either they don't really have the financing or they don't have the experience or they they have both of those but they don't understand due diligence uh, so they they kind of they just won't pull the trigger because deep down inside and if you have anybody like this you know it I mean if deep down inside you know that you can't you, you don't 
you don't really know what you're looking at and you don't know a good deal when you see it, it's going to be hard to put your, your life savings and turn that over at the closing table. So we start with, with preparation so that they have the training, they start building uh, business credit, they, they have an LLC that's uh, going to be looked at favorably by the, the by, uh, banks. And not that that makes a huge difference, but it, it's, it, it is a difference. Um, and, and, and then when we're making offers, we target businesses that are um, going to be a match that they're going to be very comfortable with. An example is we just did a, a, publishing, a, software, a publishing software business for a client. And the seller of that business is an amazing lady out of California who uh, is um, just an amazing programmer, incredible at building systems. Uh, the operations of this business was just built to a T, and she's attracted just a, a – a, she's built a large business just because she built an amazing product and uh, got, you know, word of mouth and all of that. On the other side, we had a, a marketing consultant from Price Water, Waterhouse, and she uh, was very experienced when it when it comes to marketing, uh, which is something that the other business was kind of missing out. And so she's able to kind of bring that background and, and uh, that um, uh, experience to be really comfortable to say, wow, I can see 20 things that you're not doing in this business that I can come in and do and grow this. So one of the, the, one of the things that creates a win-win is to allow the seller to, to kind of keep some equity. She believes in the talent of the buyer. Uh, and, and the other thing that a lot of these uh, buyers have, they do have uh, younger buyers, still have some 401K money and, and all that. Uh, and, and they've got some strong credit. And when you combine all of those things with a business that really is, is profitable, uh, we were able to, to get her into that business uh, with, with, you know, very little of her own money. So a lot of a lot of the other guests I've had on the show and the people I speak to um, in in the course of my professional career, they're telling me you know the banks aren't loaning any money. So how are you finding capital? Uh, you know, aside from seller financing, are yeah. you able to get some bank financing for some of these smaller deals that you're working on? Uh, no, we do not deal with the banks. They're right, uh, you know, and that's a, another huge mistake that a lot of people uh, make. Uh, you know, they go to one bank and that bank doesn't loan. Then they go to another that has an ad saying we're the business friendly bank, and that bank says no. And, and everybody goes to banks and, and, and banks and banks. And uh, the truth is, just historically. Uh, banks have only done seven percent of all of the lending uh, in, in, in the commercial and business lending. I mean, it's a very small percent. In 2008, it went down to one percent, and it still shows that there's lending going on because the other 99 percent was uh, taken up by by everybody else. But there are just a lot of non-bank lenders out there. So we have a database of over 1,000 lenders that we work with, and it's just everything. And so the, the financial approach that we take uh, with, with, with those leverage buyouts is we work with a, a, a lot of different kinds of lenders. We've built a database. 
so that we can track which lenders like what kinds of deals. So when we're looking at a deal, we're looking at a person's financial situation, we plug it into the database, and it pulls up some lenders that we can work with. Um, the, so one of the biggest keys is when we're, you know, when most people do these deals, especially where we play, which is under the $5 million or, or, you know, when I'm buying deals under $2 million, uh, everybody kind of takes that bank loan or one loan approach to, to get the money. And we just take a, 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 the same approach that larger businesses take where you look at their capital structure and, you know, they've got some stock, they've got some uh, some bonds, they've got some some straight loans or asset-based loans or AR financing or equipment financing. You know, there's a lot of different things that are there to build a capital structure that creates a great ROI for the company. Uh, and so we take a similar approach where we're the, getting the, – the lenders that you're dealing with, uh, uh -huh. are they involved in this micro-private equity concept that you've kind of created and promote? Um, they are involved in, in the sense that uh, they're helping to finance the deals. So when we go to, you know, we, we had a, a fitness, a, a, a goals gym down in Alabama where, you know, there's a tremendous amount of equipment in, in those things. And so, uh, you know, we're putting together a deal. They are one of the financing companies of maybe four that, that we deal with. The other big thing, and, you know, we did a, a car wash deal where uh, SBA has a program that, that's great for those, uh, where it was about 11 different car washes that uh, got bought. But for the most part, the biggest problem with, with the banks is they're definitely going to seek uh, some SBA type uh, guarantee, and it's going to cause you to tie up all your assets in lien. So the house is going to be liened, the business is going to be 100% liened, all the assets in there. So we're not able to put together different types of, of financing to get uh, a really great deal for the, the business buyer. Yeah. And, and uh, are most most of these lenders that are that are interested, if they're not uh, somehow leaning assets, you know, identifiable tangible assets, are there other lenders that are just interested because they like investing in entrepreneurs, and if they could get a return that's in the you know high teens or, or mid twenties, you know, they're they're up for that risk capital. Absolutely, and there are a lot of local uh, opportunities to to do to get financing for just specific programs. Uh, in that deal that I mentioned in, in Pennsylvania, uh, where she bought the publishing company, there was a part of that uh, deal structure was a local loan uh, that, that Pennsylvania, the state of Pennsylvania is offering uh, for people that are bringing jobs specifically to Pittsburgh. And so, um, so, you know, she was basically doing some hiring. And, and, and so there are different types of, of financing out there based on the deal. And, and, you know, that's why I'm not definitely not being evasive by uh, not saying like, oh, well, there's this company, this company, this company. Every deal is, is really unique. And we go after, we go after and, and every type of uh, financing that might work. We, we see what we get access to. Uh, we see what, what liens they're going to require. And uh, then we try to pick out the best uh, type of, of, of financing and deal structure that's going to work for that business buyer. 
Mm-hmm. And how about on the flip side for uh, I've mentioned before this micro private equity concept that you promote. Um, how about for people that want to have equity in a portfolio of companies but don't want to be the operator? How, how are you involved in that, and what's your advice to maybe owners that think, you know, I'd love it if I could own four or five different companies, maybe part of a car wash, maybe part of an Internet publishing business, and, you know, I'll chip in some advice if I can, but, you know, hopefully I'll just collect some dividend checks and maybe sell it for a profit later on. Well, one of the things that happened for us over the, the last six years since I've been working with clients is, uh, people would buy businesses, and exactly that would happen where, you know, they see the value, the, the huge thing with, with private equity or just buying a business, especially when you get under that $5 million mark, is the multiples are just are, are incredible. Um, now, you need to be able to manage the business. You've got to work it. But when you talk about buying a business and in three years, it's going to be completely paid off. Four years, it's going to be uh, free and clear. That's a powerful investment strategy and wealth building strategy. And there's just no other asset class. I mean, you look at real estate, you look at uh, obviously the stock market, there's just no other asset class where you're buying something at that low a multiple. And, you know, when, once you get above $5 million, uh, you're taught, you're, you're competing with private equity, but, you know, below $2 million especially, you're just you're doing deals max two at a two multiple, um, and, you know, we're often finding deals at one, one and a half. Um, so that, that creates a huge opportunity. And so we've had people that buy businesses, and then they realize, hey, I really like this. I don't want the headache of buying another business. And so that's when we kind of start to develop this micro-private equity concept where uh, most of the people that we don't really go out and seek investors, uh, but most of the people that we work with are literally past clients, and then they'll talk to, build a relationship with, and connect with some of our, in some cases, younger uh, buyer clients and invest in them and their deals and not only put up money but put up experience and time and, and become a mentor and, and really get involved on a strategic level with that business without having to deal with the, the day-to-day and, and uh, still be able to take advantage of, of the benefits of buying a, a business. Yeah, that's a unique concept to me. Before you and I met and I kind of read about that on your website, I've never really heard of it framed in that model. I guess it's it's similar to how you described the leverage buyout. You know, it's uh, taking a concept that applies at a different scale and just yeah. scaling it down. And it's even more powerful, I think, when it's scaled down than as it gets scaled up. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. I mean, that's the interesting thing. I mean, obviously, the great thing is private equity uh, companies don't want to play on my playground. And so, it, and it, you know, obviously, we've got all these other market dynamics with 12 million more businesses that are coming to market, uh, just a, a lot happening in the space creating, and a lot of those businesses are going to be under the that, that radar. They're going to be under $5 million. Uh, and so that it's creating an, an opportunity on both sides. Yeah. 
So let's talk a little bit about those 12 million businesses. We had uh, Richard Jackham on the show, the author of The $10 Trillion Opportunity, and uh, or maybe it was Peter Christman, the other co-author. And, uh, you know, we were talking about some of those dynamics of baby boomers leaving their company. But one of the, one of the you know, resounding responses I've gotten to that uh, from business brokers and, and others that are in the same space is, you know, most of those people are never going to sell. They're going to they're going to end up just either dying with their company and it's yeah. going to, you know, or die a slow death or they're never going to get real value. So what advice do you have to those owners that fall in that lower quartile so that they can yeah. actually get value out of their company? Um, there are a few things. One is to be proactive. You know, one of the uh, – there are a few things that a lot of business sellers take for granted. The first is timing. I mean, there's your personal timing, and a lot of people think about that. A lot of advisors talk about that. Uh, but there's the, you know, just what's going on in your with your health, what's going on with your uh, personal life, what, what do you have dreams that you want to go after and all of that. And that, that's great. But also thinking about uh, the economic timing and uh, your, your business cycle timing. You know, I, I gave, I learned the, the economic timing early on with, with my small business, which, you know, th- those things do affect us and and what's going on with with banking and lending and and all of those things affect us but you know the 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 other huge elephant in the room of course is is all the other businesses coming to market which may push you to to start to thinking think about uh what what you're going to do what is your exit strategy so being proactive about coming up with the exit strategy and uh, proactive in the sense that it's not just, oh, I think I'm going to pass this down to my kids, or I think that manager may end up buying the business, but really talking and, and having a very specific plan of action along with a specific timeline. Because unfortunately, you know, we end up getting a lot of great deals in those kind of micro-private equity uh, deals where somebody waits until – some some uh, something occurs, whether it's tragic or, or just uh, something happens in their personal life where they have to sell. The the next thing is uh, having a, 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 pa- a package that's gonna attract a buyer. One of the things that we do when we, we're selling a business is, you know, in addition to just laying out the deal structure, we uh, have five different basically perspectives. Sometimes they're short, they're only three pages, but we have five different decks or five different perspectives uh, about a single business, and they cover everything. We have a product perspective, which talks about the product. We give a description of each service and each product line. Uh, we, we give the relative importance of the product and, and the inventory that they're going to get. We give a perspective about our customers and, and uh, just how we how – we, uh, uh, track and, and market to and, and deal with our, our customers and any contracts that we might have to them. Uh, we, we go through the marketing and we go through the financials and, you know, we basically put together each aspect of the business so that they are very clear about the value that they're getting when they buy, buy that business. And the fifth one is the systems. Yeah. And, and for owners that kind of wait until the end, you know, when you're on the buy side and you see somebody that, you know, they, they just had grandkids in uh, Texas and they, you know, they decided they got to up and move and they, they've got that small business that's local and they can't take it with them. Uh, what happens? 
happens to the price? You know, where where do you see the price versus what it could have been if you met with that owner six months before and just helped them prepare? Um, man, like you said, I mean, most of the time they're dealing with they're when, you know a lot of times we we go into those situations they're dealing with a price of zero, and and so everything that we give them above zero is a great price and and so it it does create uh some some really great opportunities and you know that's one of one of the other things that they're fighting against is the fact that they're competing with a lot of the, the internet businesses are a new asset class in in this space that weren't paid attention to 4 years ago but people like the fact that they're re- relocatable scalable uh, you know that that they can come in and 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 run the business a little more easy and have some systems in place and, and all of that. But for the person that can't transfer their their business and they're going somewhere, or uh, just the the couple that that uh, is is uh, just ready to to get rid of the business. In a lot of cases, when you want to sell immediately, there aren't a lot of buyers out there, and um, it, 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 you're, you're a lot of times facing just not selling it and, and closing it up and, and leaving. And, you know, we've had some business deals that we just weren't interested in where that literally happened. And, and it was actually, you know, profitable, great business. Uh, but it, 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 that's, you know, that's why I really stress to people, this isn't something of, hey, maybe if I don't plan, I will get, I'll be able to just sell it for 20% less or 30% less. And in the coming market, if, you don't have a plan and you're not proactive literally starting today um and and you're 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 literally looking at zero so what are what would be three things that you would tell an owner that they should start doing today the first thing is to start to put these things in place i would you know break it up into those five areas i would uh do a competitive analysis i would do some marketing and and uh sales analysis about your business uh uh put together a the product analysis and and go through the different areas of your business and uh start to document them and and the thing that that does when you bring in a a buyer. Most of the time, people treat it like a house, and you know you can go in a house and see the value. Okay, I like these cabinets. I like that the uh, paint that was in this room. I love the bathroom and the jacuzzi tub. Da da da. And you can leave that and know what you're buying. When you walk into a a business and you start to talk, and you know they give you some financials uh, to leave and make your decision on. That, that's great, but that's not what you're buying. What you're buying is this business system. So describe to me the, the business system. Um, and you do have a lot of people that are in the market. So on the buyer side, you've got the, um, you know, just a lot of people that are re- the other side of that uh, retirement uh, equation, the people that have saved up for retirement, gotten hit by three or four stock market crashes, and they're hitting retirement and just don't have the money to officially retire, but they do have the money to buy a business. And so coming up, the second thing after putting everything together would be coming up with your target market. Who is the person that you're going after to come in and buy your business? I mean, you wouldn't go out and just 
spend money on advertising or spend money marketing uh, without having a target market. And it's the same here. I mean, really, unfortunately, people don't do that. They they kind of just go out blindly thinking, okay, this is who – hopefully somebody is, is going to come and, and buy this business. I just want a buyer. Uh, so having that target market, building your – uh, materials and everything to really show, you know, the retiree, if that's your target market, this is a great business for a retiree. This is uh, why, and and this is, you know, why this is, is going to be a great business. You can pass down to your kids. Da, da, da. So that, that's a, a huge value because it makes that person feel like, wow, this is the business for me. I've looked at all these other businesses advertising to the world, and this one was specifically made for me. And then the, the last Last thing is not to, to, to hire um, advisors and, and put a build a team. I mean, when people go to uh, or when, when, when every year, some, nobody's going to just trust their taxes to be done by anyone. They want a strong CPA because they, they don't want to get screwed when it comes to the IRS. And this is an even bigger deal than than that. This is a bigger deal than, than doing your taxes. This is the uh, get the payment for all the work that you've done building this business. And, um, you know, unfortunately, a lot of, of sellers just don't take it that seriously and, and don't put a team around them to – uh, go after the, the, the buyers and, and build, uh, do everything that we've kind of talked about on this call today. Yeah. Uh, so before we wrap up our call, Ace, what else would you say are kind of a couple bits of advice that you like to tell either every owner or every acquirer? The Every owner, what I, what I tell people is don't be a lazy seller. <laughs> you know, it, you can put a lot of work into a business, and then yeah, there are a lot of folks who just think, okay, one day somebody's going to walk through those doors, they're going to want to buy my business, and I'm going to turn everything off and, and head out of here. Um, so, you know, not, I call them people that are addicted to hopium. <laughs> so you, you can't be – uh, you, you can't live in a world of, of hope and dreams. You, you just like you know your your business isn't gonna work and profit on hope. Uh, you, you're not gonna be able to sell your business on hope. Uh, what I tell buyers is now is the time. I mean, now's the time to really uh, gain this skill set, gain the mic the micro private equity or private equity skill set, which I. Uh, considered to be finding really great deals, negotiating those, being able to do due diligence, knowing how to do valuations, and uh, knowing how to structure and, and get access to financing, raise capital, uh, put together deal decks, and, and, and all of that so that you can uh, have the financing to go and do deals. Yeah. Well, great advice. Uh, Ace, if for those of our listeners that would like to get in touch with you either to talk about buying a business, selling a business, or learning more about becoming a lender in your portfolio or being part of your private equity program, how should they get to you? Uh, they can email me at ace at acechapman.com, and, and I'll respond to those emails. Um, or they can visit our site at acechapman.com. 
Terrific. Well, Ace, thanks so much for joining us today. To all our listeners, once again, I want to remind you, if you could rate us on iTunes, we'd appreciate it. Be sure to leave your feedback either anywhere on our website or on LinkedIn, if that's how you found us. Uh, And we look forward to having you again. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to the Divestopedia Exit Strategy Podcast. Make sure to visit us on the web at divestopedia.com to see more of our resources for entrepreneurs who want to sell their business for the best price and terms. Whether you are thinking of selling, have started the sales process, or are post-deal, we aim to arm you with the knowledge required to maximize value and limit your downside risk. If you have any questions about today's podcast, you can contact your host, Noah Rosenfarb, a CPA and personal CFO to business owners planning their transition at 855-540-0400. Please be sure to rate us on iTunes and give us your feedback. Until next time, this is the Divestopedia Exit Strategy Podcast.